The information you want, the information you need on your Tri-Cities Morning News. Good day to you. This is the Kona News Podcast, an abridged version of what you hear weekday mornings on the Tri-Cities Morning News, broadcasted live on News Radio 610 KONA in the Tri-Cities of southeastern Washington and northeastern Oregon. As per usual, we'll start with a regional block of news, then we're talking with ABC News correspondent Catherine Falders about the drama unfolding at the congressional level right now due to the Facebook whistleblowing incident alleging blatant dis- regard from Facebook executives. So that'll be coming up shortly. But first, I'm Derek Maselli. And I'm Glenn Vaughn. Kennewick police investigating a vehicle fire that forced the evacuation of a nearby apartment late last night. Responders arrived in the 400 block of North Arthur around 11 p.m. to a caller call of a vehicle fully engulfed in flames. Firefighters uh, snuffed out those flames, but police are looking at it as a suspicious blaze. They're looking for more information. If you know or saw something about last night's car fire, please contact 509-628-0333. And a car slams into a school bus with 14 children on it en route to Cascade Elementary Tuesday morning in Kennewick. Police say it went down around 8 a.m. off Gum Street and 27th. No signs of impairment on the 18-year-old driver of the white vehicle. Uh, No injuries to him or to the bus driver. Benton County Sheriff's uh, Captain Randy Lloyd says the three children on board the bus were treated at the scene. Speed appears to have been a factor. You can see pictures of the crash by heading to our Facebook page. Just search News Radio 610 KONA. One Washington senator took part in the Facebook whistleblower hearing yesterday, and boy, she wasn't holding back either. And I'm personally oh, yeah. Yeah. very frustrated by this because we presented information to Facebook from one of my own constituents in 2018 talking about this issue with the Rohingya. Washington Democrat Maria Cantwell says she is going to uh, send Facebook a letter outlining her concerns. Honoring a school bus driver killed behind the wheel, colleagues of Richard Lenhart. Uh, that's what they're doing. He's the driver who was stabbed while in the driver's seat near Longfellow Elementary. They're planning a parade Saturday morning at 10 a.m. At least 50 buses from school districts around the region will be participating, including Pasco and other locations around the Tri-Cities. The route's still being finalized, but buses will pass by Longfellow Elementary along 10th Avenue between Sylvester Street and Clark Street in Pasco. Pasco police need your help finding a missing man. Authorities say Rafael Najaro is believed to have walked away from his apartment near 19th and G several days ago and has not been seen nor heard from since. Authorities say he may not recall where his home is because of symptoms associated with Alzheimer's. He was last seen wearing a black t-shirt with a dark blue dress shirt. He's also wearing slacks and brown work boots. Rafael is about five foot tall and he speaks only Spanish. Another big event coming to Columbia Park in Kennewick this weekend. The Walk uh, to End Alzheimer's raises funds and awareness for Alzheimer's disease. The proceeds go to the Alzheimer's Association to provide a variety of support services. 
That's walk manager Erica Grismerson saying those services include everything from research to support for family members and caretakers. The event this Sunday afternoon starting at the Columbia Park Bandshell right around noon for registration. Learn more at alz.org slash walk. Scary moments for some students at a Yakima Elementary School. A shooting just four blocks from Robertson Elementary sent the school into lockdown yesterday morning. Yakima police say they had a number of shots fired calls right by the school around 10.45 a.m. A 23-year-old man apparently got into a verbal exchange of some kind with two 16-year-olds. Police say one of the teens opened fire with a pistol, missing the fleeing man. Police swarmed the area and arrested the two teens. Authorities think all three are tied to gangs. Greg Neft, News Radio 610 KONA. The Coeur d'Alene School Board met online via Zoom call this week after last week's meeting was shut down by anti-mask demonstrators. School board members did not discuss masks, but they did discuss the resignation of board chair Jennifer Brumley and trustee Tamara Pickford. The positions need to be filled within 90 days. They're also considering a sick leave policy that would allow uh, some teachers to use sick leave from next year if they've run out of days for this year. Spokane City Council approving a plan to spend nearly $68,000 to buy 100 pepper ball launchers and 77 ballistic shields. Council members voted 6-1 to one in favor of the plan Monday. The investment is aimed at helping the Spokane Police Department comply with new state laws that prohibit them from using items from military uh, federal military surplus. Funding for it will come from the state. There will be enough launchers and shields for every officer on patrol. A study by Portland State University finds Portland's Street Response Program is accomplishing its goals of reducing calls for police and firefighters. The pilot program has been in operation for six months. It uses a firefighter EMT with mental health specialists and peer support responders to help people who are homeless and or having a mental crisis. The study recommends expanding the program now citywide. The city of Seattle taking steps towards decriminalizing certain mushrooms and other naturally occurring psychedelic drugs. Seattle City Council voted unanimously this week to pass a resolution asking the Seattle Police Department to make enforcement of laws surrounding psychedelic drugs uh, use and circulation its lowest priority. The uh, the they the they being the council say residents should be allowed to grow and consume psychedelics in non-commercial ways for quote religious spiritual healing or personal growth practices. The resolution applies to naturally occurring psychedelics, not drugs linked uh, like LSD. Uh, the resolution is also non-binding and serves only as a recommendation. Former Facebook employee turned whistleblower testifying before a Senate Commerce Committee yesterday. ABC News correspondent Catherine Falders has more on that. Catherine, the Facebook whistleblower going before uh, lawmakers yesterday. We've heard from Washington's Maria Cantwell, who has been quite scathing of what Facebook has done or has not done. Was she the outlier or was that kind of more the sentiment from lawmakers? No, look, I think it was a sentiment from lawmakers. I think there was bipartisan consensus on on the fact that um, there needs to, something needs to be done as it relates to regulating uh, Facebook a a bit more. Now, how lawmakers get to that point, what type of legislation they introduce, 
um, remains to be seen. Uh, during that hearing, many of the lawmakers talked about the bills that they've proposed on their own. Uh, but again, do they come together and is there some consensus on, on how exactly they regulate this? It's a complicated issue. So, uh, look, Francis Haugen, the whistleblower, painted this stark picture uh, describing Facebook as a company with tremendous power and little sense of responsibility. I think we heard lawmakers um, uh, agree with that uh, sentiment uh, throughout on both sides uh, of the aisle. So powerful testimony, lots of headlines from it. Uh, of course, Facebook has has pushed back on that testimony, saying that, that she's misrepresented it. Uh, but again, I, I think she gave this warning to lawmakers that nothing will change uh, unless Congress steps in. Two things that come to mind there, Catherine. I guess first and foremost, let, let's talk a bit about this hearing. And you mentioned Facebook's defense of, well, the information wasn't quite what it was pitched as originally. My understanding is they've also kind of tried to, I don't want to say discredit, but uh, maybe discredit uh, Haugen in some of the internal ways that she handled these same types of concerns she's now come public with. Yeah, they, they've said that. Uh, they've said, uh, essentially, um, when, when Haugen says that the company's operating in the shadows and hiding its research from public scrutiny, um, Facebook essentially has said that that's not true. They've called her claims inaccurate, um, saying, you know, she didn't really work on these issues, even though she worked in civic uh, integrity at, at the company. Um, so, again, Facebook really pushing back here. But I think it was interesting to, to see what um, Facebook did say. They agreed it's time to begin to create, quote unquote, standard rules for the Internet, what exactly that means kind of remains uh, to be seen there. Um, but we did hear uh, one of our uh, correspondents interviewed the vice president of content policy at Facebook, the current vice president of content policy at Facebook, who says that uh, she believes that Haugen misrepresented the issue she testified about. They say that she didn't work on these issues at Facebook um, and, quote unquote, uh, mischaracterized a lot of the documents that she stole. But I'm not sure that's had so much sway with lawmakers on both sides of the aisle here. Now, Catherine, I'm hoping maybe you can give us a little background information. I hear a lot of people saying, well, you can't really regulate Facebook. You can't break up Facebook. And the same arguments are made about Google. How is Facebook, how is Google, how is social media different than the days of Ma Bell? When that was providing a service, you could use it, you didn't have to use it, but the U.S. government came in and said, hey, we're going to break you up to make sure that competition is available and that communication is open for everybody. Yeah, I think that's a good question, and, and I think the answer is, is so complicated as it relates to to regulating this, this social media platform, because I think so much is evolving on these platforms every day, whether it be Facebook or Instagram, um, and exactly how lawmakers do that is that's a big question. Like You've heard a lot about Section 230, which is that decades-old law that that protects these companies from lawsuits um, over what their what their users post. Um, Haugen, during her testimony, said that that type of thing would be insufficient and that lawmakers really have to, quote, break out of previous uh, regulatory frames. So to your question about how exactly is this different, I, I think it's it's there's a learning curve here. Right. It remains to be remains to be seen exactly how they tackle uh, this issue. 
Catherine, you had mentioned that some lawmakers had, had taken some time to talk about things that they had brought up to try and address some of these issues. But what is it that we're hearing our, right now, generally speaking, from some of these lawmakers about how to go about, I mean, regulating rhetoric that could be harmful for political processes or harmful for mental health of children, which, as you mentioned, are kind of abstract ideals to, to begin with that aren't really always clearly defined. Well, that's right. And, and some of these bills that they've that uh, the various lawmakers talked about ranged from addressing um, children's online privacy to bills that would um, increase the transparency surrounding these big tech companies, whether it be Facebook, Google, Instagram. Um, so those are the proposals that were thrown out on the table here. But to your point, how exactly do they move forward on this? What type of legislation can they draft? It, it's a it's a complicated issue because then you deal with some First Amendment rights, for example. So do they, uh, do they, for example, capitalize on, on what Facebook has said, where, where Facebook says it's time to begin to create uh, standard rules for the Internet? What exactly does that mean? Does Congress get involved in, in, in crafting some legislation, some proposals around the quote-unquote standard rules for the Internet? Um, we just have to uh, wait and see how this plays out uh, behind closed doors since this is a fresh issue. And they've been talking about it for a while. But um, I, I think this Facebook and Instagram report has really mobilized members behind the scenes to dig deeper here uh, and to see what exactly they could come together on in a bipartisan way to get some legislation, some regulatory legislation over the finish line. Again, that's ABC News correspondent Catherine Folders. You're listening to the Kona News Podcast. It's the Kona News Podcast, an abridged version of what you hear on News Radio 610 KONA every morning. Let's take a look now at things going on around the country and around the world. I'm Derek Maselli. And I'm Glenn Vogg. And negotiations are ongoing between Democrats as the White House tries to push the progressive and moderate wings of the party into an agreement on President uh, Biden's human infrastructure bill. The $3.5 trillion bill would uh, fund programs for paid family leave, universal preschool, and expand health care, among other things. But there are some indications that the initial price tag may come down. ABC's White House correspondent Cecilia Vega has more. Looks like they're now closer to a $2 trillion number. These negotiations are still going on. The big question is what stays in this bill, what goes. The president hasn't said what his red line would be with these new numbers. Once again, that was ABC's Cecilia Vega. And the world's fifth richest person responding to allegations made by former employee turned whistleblower yesterday that his company put profits over users' well-being. Former Facebook product manager uh, Francis Haugen now says that Facebook threw its products where psychology was harmful for teenagers and really did nothing. News senior national correspondent for ABC Terry Morin has more. His silence, issuing a statement on Facebook that the claims brought by the company's former employee, Francis Haugen, don't make any sense. Adding, at the heart of these accusations is the idea that we prioritize profit over safety and well-being. That's just not true. Haugen appearing before a Senate subcommittee on Tuesday, alleging the company is operating in the shadows and hiding its research from public scrutiny. Again, ABC News national correspondent Terry Morin. 
The CDC predicting the coronavirus case count will go down in the weeks ahead. The scientists in Atlanta are sharing that the number of COVID cases, hospitalizations and fatalities are expected to fall over the next two weeks. But the numbers will still be painful, with 22,000 Americans expected to die from COVID these next two weeks, down from 26,000 people over the two weeks prior. That was ABC's Steve Osinsami in Atlanta. Texas Governor Greg Abbott returns to his state's southern border today to meet with fellow Republican state chief executives from around the country. GOP governors will hold a news conference to lay out what they call the Biden administration's shortcomings on illegal immigration. This is Jim Ryan in Texas. Among the governors who have come here is Brad Little of Idaho. After he had left Boise, Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan issued an executive order banning vaccine mandates and mandatory COVID testing. She also attempted to deploy the National Guard to the U.S.-Mexico border. Little issued a statement from here in Texas saying his fellow Republican McGeehan doesn't have the authority to do either of those things and accused her of political grandstanding. McGeehan is challenging Little in next year's governor's race. Jim Ryan, ABC News, Dallas. It's a contentious case in Israel that uh, captured global headlines. A number of Palestinian families living in East Jerusalem for decades threatened with being forced out of their homes in a battle over who owns the building in which they live. The case touching uh, thorny issues of Israeli-Palestinian conflicts and prompting violence in Jerusalem and rockets from Gaza, not to mention objections in D.C., Israel's Supreme Court is offering up a way out of the controversy, at least for now. ABC's Jordana Miller has more from Jerusalem. Israel's Supreme Court striking a compromise to temporarily put off the eviction of several Palestinian families from their homes in East Jerusalem by a Jewish nonprofit. Evictions the Biden administration openly opposes. The justice is offering the status of protected tenants to the Palestinians for 15 years with a minimal annual rent. The Palestinians can continue their legal fight for ownership of the property during that time. The deal awaits approval by both sides, but it's still fails to address a discriminatory law that allows Jews, but not Palestinians, to claim property owned before the establishment of the State of Israel. Jordana Miller, ABC News, Jerusalem. Washington state officials confirming the first COVID-19 vaccine-related death in the state. It was a King County woman in her late 30s. She died from a blood clot after getting the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. The stress, they stress that it's the first such death in Washington and only the fourth to be confirmed nationwide. She died less than two weeks after receiving that shot. If we look at the Washington state COVID numbers right now, the health department confirming 53 new COVID deaths yesterday, raising the cumulative death toll from the pandemic now to 7,860. Officials also logged 2,392 new cases and 109 new hospitalizations. University of Washington Medicine says 97% of its staff and faculty are fully vaccinated. We have approximately 300 employees here at UW Medicine who have sought out a COVID-19 vaccine exemption. UW Medicine Hospital and Clinics President Lisa Brandenburg says about a third of those uh, those have qualified for that exemption. Meanwhile, nearly four dozen more Oregonians dead after contracting COVID-19. The Oregon Health Authority raising the state's death toll from the pandemic now to 3,867. Additionally, there were 1,650 new cases documented yesterday. 
Currently, 733 people are hospitalized in the state. That's down 36 from where it was on Monday. However, ICUs still remain near capacity with only 9% of beds available statewide. The U.S. Forest Service still waiting to do its seasonal prescribed burns in the Okanagan Wenatchee National Forest. There are con- uh, there, there's conditions that need to be met before burns can take place. Will we be getting enough gentle enough winds, not super strong winds, but winds that can blow smoke out of areas where the burning is occurring? Robin DeMario with the Forest Service warns you could see a lot of smoke once the prescribed burns take place in areas such as Leavenworth, Lake Wenatchee, as well as Blewett Pass. This is Fire Safety Week. Other than remembering to have your furnace serviced by a licensed technician, there are some other steps you can follow. We encourage people to test their smoke alarms and change those batteries, usually when you set your clock back, either in the fall or the spring. Richland Fire Captain Adam Hardgrove, he adds that even though your kids may not know what a fire alarm is or may know what it is, they might not realize it in the middle of the night. Definitely take the time to explain to your children, no matter what their age, what that sound means and what to do. And then the what to do part is have some type of home escape plan. He stresses that if you and your family are out and safe when responders arrive, it allows their crews to focus on damage prevention. An annual classic returns this holiday season. It's the Great Pumpkin. Charlie Brown is returning to the airwaves this Halloween. After not airing in 2020 for the first time in decades, the perennial classic will air on PBS and PBS Kids on Sunday, October 4th at 7.30 p.m. thanks to a partnership with Apple TV. Dear Great Pumpkin, I'm looking forward to your arrival on Halloween night. I hope you will bring me lots of presents. Hopefully it's just what the doctor ordered to get the kiddos ready for trick-or-treating as long as they fare better than Charlie Brown. I got a chocolate bar. I got a quarter. I got a rock. Frank Cooper, News Radio 610 KONA. <laughs> Going up, the costs of many winter recreation fees increasing this year. Washington seasonal snowpark permits going up by $10 to a total of 50 now. Daily snow park permits increasing by $5 to $25. At the same time, the annual snowmobile permit will now run you $10 more to 50 total. And a special groomed trail stick increasing by $30 to a total of 70 Officials say the money is going to be used to maintain restrooms, clear parking lots, and groom and maintain trails for cross-country skiers and snowmobilers. Oregonians could save $1,600 a year by eliminating food waste. That's the message of the new Bad Apple campaign from the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality. The department says 25 to 40 percent of all food is wasted, and up to 70 percent of the wasted food could be saved if it was used as leftovers put in better packaging, or perhaps frozen. The website, don'tletgoodfoodgobad.org, boy, that really rolls off the lips, doesn't it? Don'tletgoodfoodgobad.org has tips on how you can keep food from going to waste. This has been another installment of the Kona News Podcast, an abridged version of what you hear every weekday morning on the Tri-Cities Morning News. Broadcast live out of Pasco, Washington, in the Tri-Cities. Derek Maselli saying thanks for listening.